Hello everyone and welcome to the Labourlist podcast. I'm Mark Ferguson and I'm joined in the studio by Connor Pope. I'm returning this week. My good fellow, she was away but now she's back which will improve the quality of the podcast immeasurably. This week we'll be talking, don't laugh, this week we'll be talking briefly about the upcoming TV debate before pushing on to thinking about the manifestos, the state of the various parties' campaigns and also the opinion polls. We're only three weeks until the election now, and there hasn't been a breakthrough moment, a massive change in the polling, and certainly not the much-heralded crossover. So what happens next? We're going to peer into our crystal balls and try and work that out. So, another debate tonight. I bet everyone's really excited <laughs> by another debate. Connor, you looking forward to it? Um... I think it'll be more interesting that we sit here and we're cynical about it. We go, oh, it'll be boring, it'll be terrible. But actually, a couple of them so far have been have had their interesting moments. They have been good enough. I think we'll see that again tonight. I think we'll see a really interesting dynamic because David Cameron and Mick Clegg won't be there. So it'll be very interesting to see how Ed Miliband tries to portray himself. Um, will he try and show that he is a genuine left-wing alternative? like the other candidates who are there to the left of him? Or will he try and prove that he is a genuine uh, contender to be Prime Minister, unlike everyone else there? Um, So the way he will position himself, actually, I think, will make tonight interesting. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Maya, you're, I would say, somewhat less enthusiastic about tonight's debate. Um, Yeah. Well, I don't think it's necessarily going to be boring. And I, I mean, I just hate the idea of the debate altogether, so... This is just another one of those for me. But I do think um, that Miliband was right to take part. I think that he couldn't have stepped back from it, which I've said before. Um, and like Connor says, I think he will kind of go with this narrative that they've been pushing really hard, that it, it is between David Cameron and Miliband who the next Prime Minister is going to be. Um, that's obviously not going to persuade everyone to vote Labour. Um, but I think that will cut through with some people who might be watching tonight. So it will be interesting to see how that um, goes. And to be honest, putting aside the whole party politics thing, I just like that there's some women there. There's some women who mm. are part of it, although I'm clearly no Nicola Sturgeon fan. It is interesting to see how they all interact with one another and to, to have some female voices. So I think it's right that he's there to be in amongst that. But how he fares is another another question altogether. Oh, of course, then there's there's Nigel Farage, um, who is, I believe, on the far right of the of the stage. Make your own jokes, <laughs> uh, with Miliband being on the far left again. You know, <laughs> make your own jokes. But, uh, it, it's it certainly it certainly is going to be a debate. Certainly, a debate will happen, and we won't labour it any more than that because. Frankly, a lot of you are going to be listening to it after it's happened. So you are probably screaming, that's ridiculous, that's not <laughs> what happened. Um, what I do want to talk about, though, is the manifestos. It's been manifesto week. We've had loads of lovely manifestos to leap through from the UKIP effort, replete with booing of journalists, through to the Labour effort, with slightly less, but still actually their booing of journalists. <laughs> And, and all sorts of other things in between. The Lib Dem one that seemed to happen in some sort of fight cage. There was the Tory one that seemed to just involve throwing money at things, which, you know, is not what I was expecting from the Conservative Party. What have you made of the manifestos, Maya? Um, well, I mean, with, with Labour's, there was nothing massively new. I think I thought the interesting thing was um, the whole minimum wage 
pledge is worded slightly differently. Um, so it's gone from saying that they're going to make it um, £8 by 2020 to saying that it's going to be more than £8 by October 2019. Um, minor, but at least there's been a, a very slight shift in, in that one. Um, but there's an interesting statistic today that said 18% of people that have only um, read any of the manifestos ever. So, I mean, how how much it really matters in terms of the, the actual, what is in the actual manifestos and how many people read them. It's more about, I guess, how it gets covered in the press wow. and how the media interpret it that is more interesting um, to most people, I think. Connor, are you a voracious consumer mm. of manifesto-based goods? I am the 72%, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've never you, you haven't read that lovely copy of Labour's manifesto <laughs> that I left on your desk earlier this week. Actually, was it 82%? I'm I can't even count. <laughs> Don't let me near these things. You um, should write the Tory manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, uh, yeah, so my completely right. It is about the way they get covered on the news uh, and the way that... You were portrayed uh, on the back of it. I think there have been some interesting points out of it. Uh, Maya was talking about the minimum wage um, pledge, which is a bit tougher than it was before for Labour. Uh, in the Labourist survey that we did this week, we asked people what their favourite new pledge was. The minimum, uh, the minimum wage was the most popular. The second most popular, interestingly, I thought, was the budget responsibility lock on the mm. first page. Which is the most popular in a YouGov poll, yeah. um, which came up to 76% yeah, of people. Yeah, which was the second most popular of either the Tories or the, the or Labour's pledges. Um, I'll, I'll one of them, yes. Yes, and I think a lot of the news this week uh, around Labour's manifesto is about that, is about being tough and making sure that the deficit comes down in power, which is a far cry from six months ago when Ed Miliband forgot the deficit in his conference speech. I thought his speech actually this week was pretty good. He seemed to be fired up uh, and he really hungry for victory. It was, in, in another sense, very different to that conference speech six months ago, which was very flat and left us all feeling a bit downbeat, I think. Absolutely. No, I think, I think you can't really compare the... Ed Miliband's speech from six months ago at conference and the Ed Miliband's speech from earlier this week because this one was so much better. Mm-hmm. He fed off the energy in the room and there was energy in the room whereas at conference it was all very flat. But actually, to be fair, Cameron and Clegg both gave, sort of put their best faces out there in terms of the, their delivery, their energy, their enthusiasm for what they were, they were putting out um, in terms of their manifestos. What has surprised me though is the Tory campaign. I was expecting, and look, this may be played back to me in three weeks' time as an example of my incredible naivety, but I was expecting a lot more from the Conservative Party's campaign. I was expecting it to be ruthlessly efficient. I was expecting it to be brutal, but in an effective way, rather than brutal in a sort of lashing out in a slightly desperate way. We haven't had a polling crossover. Um, There doesn't seem to be any great movement or significant movement even towards the Tories and the polls, everything still seems to be pretty much locked between Labour and the Tories. Meanwhile, Labour's campaign, Labour activists are fairly happy, Labour MPs are fairly happy, Labour's performing reasonably well in the marginals, getting a lot um, of work done in terms of the grand game, which can have a mass. like, we really shouldn't underestimate that. A massive impact on election day, if a Labour, if a, if a Labour Party has four or 500 people 
knocking on doors and the Tories have 50. That can be the difference between winning or losing a seat that is currently pretty much tied. And I keep on waiting for the other you know, shoe to drop, the Tory campaign to rev on to into an extra gear. And it's just, all they seem to have is personal attacks, a very friendly media, which is not to be sniffed at, and £25 billion worth of unfunded. It's like, as one Labour staffer said to me earlier this week, it's like they've taken all of their best cards and thrown them into a black hole. I just don't understand why they're doing it. I think, actually, the campaign that's been most interesting to me from an outside perspective has been the Lib Dem campaign, which there is, there is a train of thought amongst some commentators, which is that the short campaign does not change elections, mm. and people have all of their ideas about all the political parties before the short campaign starts. Nothing you can do in that uh, period will actually change people's minds. What Linton Crosby refers to as you can't fatten the pig on market day. And so all of this stuff about Labour being uh, tough on the deficits and the Conservatives putting billions into the NHS won't matter because people have already decided what they're going to do. Uh, and the polls may not show it yet, but over the six weeks, they just the seed of, of what they think is already there, and when they go to the polls, the last six weeks won't have mattered. The Lib Dems seem to be testing this theory to breaking point by <laughs> literally not having a campaign. Nick Clegg <laughs> began the campaign by going to a hedgehog sanctuary a fortnight ago. Um, since then, he's been going around to lots of formerly Lib Dem strongholds that are looking a bit shaky now. This week, he was in Burma's in Old Southwark, uh, where Simon Hughes obviously been there for 30-odd years. Uh, defending a healthy majority, but actually it's looking knife-edge, Neil Coyle could mm-hmm. take it there. And uh, there were a couple of universities in that seat. Usually, what would a Lib Dem leader do? They would go to the universities and speak to the students and get them out. They did not do that. So these kind of things are really interesting. I saw in the Dem leaflet this week, a candidate had the pictures of uh, Ed Miliband, David Cameron, Nigel Farage and Nick Clegg with big crosses through them saying these people are not standing in this seat do not vote based on, your, on the leader this is incredible that they realise that their leader is so unpopular that they are telling people to just don't pay attention to them I, mean, I personally am very disappointed that Ed Miliband seems to be the only one out of Cameron Clegg and Miliband not to have fed a small animal during this election campaign. I want to know when Ed Miliband is going to fulfil that small animal gap in this campaign. We've still got three weeks left. But on this, you can't fatten the pig on the way to the market. Ed Miliband's popularity pig, as it were, was pretty damn skinny six <laughs> weeks ago. But there's a bit of there's a little bit of chubbiness developing around the cheeks of Ed Miliband's popularity pig. There are signs in the polling that whilst Ed Miliband is not Popular, and to be fair, show me a popular politician right now, and I'll, you know, I'll show you Boris Johnson. <laughs> um, but he's no longer seeming unpopular, no longer seeming to be an enormous drag on Labour's ticket, as some people suggested that he might be over the course of the campaign. It's running contrary to the Tory narrative, isn't it, Maya? Yeah, and I think uh, the Tories haven't helped themselves. All the polls have showed that, that their attacks on Miliband are making them come across as the nasty party, which I think is pretty accurate when you look at how brutal it's been in digging up Miliband's 
you know, love life from past years. Uh, it really, it, but it really is just like stuff from the gutter. And I think, I mean, I, I actually don't agree that Cameron's speech was that great at the manifesto launch. I'm sure a lot of people will have really liked it, but for me, it just totally jarred. This idea of Britain being a buccaneering country is just speaks of language of empire that I just I just can't swallow. And it was really interesting as well that he kind of started this whole thing by listing all these policies that the Tories had put through despite vociferous campaigns to try and stop them. So it's like, you know, we do it despite the fact that there's not popular support. And it, it just it just goes to show that there are their arrogance really is unparalleled. Um I don't know that that's gonna do them any damage with the electorate, but it does kind of it has inklings of him trying to, uh, you know, tread on UKIP territory in this way of like pride in the country that really, really doesn't will work for for quite a lot of people. I don't think. I was very interested in this Ed Miliband's ex girlfriends thing. I mean, for one, there was this really dreadful article from Andrew Pearce in the Daily Mail, which included photographs of a number of Ed Miliband's former girlfriends on the front page, including you know, one person who'd been widowed in the last few weeks, which is just, you know, I mean, and the the person writing the article knew that this had happened and they did it anyway. But also, I don't see how it's meant to hurt Ed Miliband. Nobody looks at Ed Miliband and goes, there's a Lothario right there. Oh my God, that Ed Miliband. Bet he's amazing with the ladies. Is not something I'd ever heard anyone say and don't expect to hear anyone say. I remember speaking to someone a while ago and they said, I was around the time that Francois Hollande had had his uh, latest uh, breakup of a major relationship, the whole moped thing. And someone said, Ed Miliband's a bit like Francois Hollande, except you could never imagine them having a sex scandal. Although, to be honest, it would radically change people's opinions of him if he did. Now, Ed Miliband is never going to be that kind of person. He just isn't. But for some reason, the Daily Mail have tried, which I just I just don't understand on any level. Did they think that, honestly, the people were going to buy this? Sorry, I, I clearly don't follow French politics well enough, but the idea of Francois Hollande being in a moped sex scandal... You <laughs> what? There was an actress, there was a journalist, there was a moped... I'm sorry, this is, this is... If you are listening to this and you haven't heard about Francois Hollande's um, affair with the moped. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's one of the one of the most amazing stories of our time. But obviously, there's nothing to cut through. I thought it did because Connor had no idea what I'm talking about. Is is breaking himself in the corner, laughing. I guess it's probably time to wrap this up today. But before we do, I promise we'd have a look a little look in our crystal balls for what might happen. Maya, are you confident enough to predict? roughly what you think is going to happen over the next few weeks, either in terms of the campaign or in terms of that result itself? No, not really, but I feel like maybe I have to. <laughs> um, uh, well, I think Labour might swing being the biggest pie, and they're not going to get a majority. I wouldn't say, look at Scotland. I mean, all the polls say that. But, I mean, at this stage, I'm, just, I'm finding the poll after poll after poll just a bit tiresome, and I don't know how far it actually does get us. And... We just have to wait and see. I don't know. I, don't, I really, I really don't. Connor, um, no, I disagree. I really like all the polls. I think, uh, I think when you collect them all together, there is um, some uh, knowledge uh, added into the equation. Um, I think actually, it there's, there's a lot that just feeds into theories that you can have. 
there was someone from Comrades saying yesterday that he'd realised that in Comrades' telephone polls, Labour hadn't had a lead in 2015. There seems to be a big difference between telephone polling and internet polling at this election. I think it'll be interesting to see in a few weeks' time which is now the most reliable source for that stuff. Um, in terms of what my predictions are, I think they we're still at the same place that we've been for a while, it looks like. Labour and the Tories are going to be very close together in both numbers of votes and seats, I think, and it's going to be margin of error stuff either way. I think that grown campaign on the day, in the final few weeks... I mean, the Labour Party, I remember Ian McNichol announcing a few years ago the Labour Party were going to invest heavily in organisers and in selecting candidates early. And it could be that that's something in a few weeks' time we're coming back here and we're saying, do you know what, in those seats where they had organisers, they did better. In the seats where they selected candidates earlier, where they're embedded in their community, where they've been campaigning for longer and harder, they did better. Who knows? One thing I do think we're going to see from the Tory campaign is they clearly aren't done with the personal attacks on Ed Miliband yet. I can't help but think there is something they're holding back, something they're going to try and hit Labour and Miliband with, because there are three weeks to go, and I do not believe the Tory party have fired all of their anti-Labour bullets just yet. I hope it's got something to do with a moped. I mean, I imagine imagine Millie Moped is only (laughs) a matter of days away. (laughs) And on that point, <laughs> thank you very much for listening to the Labourless podcast. Thank you very much to Connor and Maya. I've been Mark Ferguson. We'll be back here next week to talk about the final two weeks of the general election campaign. Thanks very much. Goodbye.